Howdy, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Tuesday version of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 18th, which is hard to believe. I am your co-host, Mike Pearson. Joining me right over here is my other co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? Good, and I just want to let everybody know that we are reporting from the Des Moines capital today, so I apologize if there's any background noise. Uh, There's a lot of people, there's a lot of things going on at the Capitol today. That's right, we are seeing how the sausage gets made, so to speak. The beef sausage. That's right, because Delaney, why are we at the Capitol today? We are at the Capitol today. We are both members of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, and the Iowa Cattlemen's Association is hosting cattlemen at the Capitol today. So we've been in contact with legislators, other cattle people in the industry, and CBA members, and we're going to bring you some interviews from some of those folks that we've talked to today. You bet. And one of the things that we did not get an interview, but we will be posting in uh, bits and pieces on our Facebook and Twitter page, is this morning we had the uh, privilege of talking to Iowa's Governor Branstad, soon to be, we don't know how soon, but soon to be Ambassador to China. Branstad, uh, talked about his hopes as he becomes ambassador, and he signed a proclamation designating May as Beef Month here in the state of Iowa. He did say, Delaney, and this made me pretty excited, that he is going to do all he can to get beef into the Chinese market. He's going to say that he wants to serve corn-fed beef at his, uh, at his ambassador house. What do they call it? Embassy. Embassy. At his embassy, at the embassy dinners, and he's going to kind of use that to maybe twist some arms over there and actually get them to start buying some uh, some American beef. That's right, and later we talked to Bill Kauser, and he was saying that they've been hosting a lot of people from China, and they all want American beef. So I think that's pretty positive for American agriculture and the beef industry. That's right, and today, ladies and gentlemen, we are bringing you the beef here from the Iowa capital. But before <laughs> we get into our interviews with the uh, fantastic producers here in the state of Iowa, let's go ahead and see what is going on in the world of news, Delaney Howell. What do you have? That was quite the introduction, Mike. You I think so? Yeah. 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 What's the beef? Okay. What's the beef? That's right. Well, first up on the docket, there's a lot of rain that has been affecting Midwest planting this season. One report says from the National Agricultural Statistics Service that corn planting progress is at a 6% low compared to last year's 12% at this time and a 9% average over five years. So some of these key states to include are Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri. We're seeing a lot of that rain is affecting farmers getting into field for corn, and spring wheat is also falling behind at this time last year, 21%. All right, excuse me, over a five-year average at this time, 21% of fields were planted, but this year we're only seeing 13%. So we've got fewer plantings complete of fewer projected planted acres on the spring wheat side. Yes. And, you know, we just had uh, rain come through Iowa, Minnesota, and parts of Missouri again today, uh, this morning. I was up and saw some of my neighbors. They were out. They were running hard, getting some corn in the ground before that rain was coming, and it was a steady soaker all morning. Right, and I just uh, we, we talked to a Kurt Dahlmeyer, who we've had on our podcast previously. He uh, custom feeds with my dad, and Kurt was saying that dad is done now planting, so I guess the weather hasn't been too bad in southeast Iowa to get some corn planted in the ground there. But as we reported yesterday, the crop insurance date has passed for most states in the Midwest, so just looking to hopefully get some nice weather and we can get in the field. That's right, get it in there. Now we do have some other news here. This is... You know, interesting to see how statistics work. 
So Delaney, you are a female in the field of agriculture. We see growing numbers of women in this business across all aspects, on the sales side, on the vet med side, on the uh, you know marketing and finance side, but also on the production side. USDA put out, put out a statistic. They said females are 14% of primary operators on the farm. But if you look at secondary operators, that number jumps to 31% when you count uh, when you when you count the uh, the spouses of farmers because you know let's face it they're doing usually just as much work as their farmer husbands. So now the USDA says when you count them you get a more full picture of what makes up the ag industry and. Uh, Females are 31%. That's right, and I think that that is what Margie has been doing with the Farm Her movement. And as a matter of fact, we're going to text, uh, excuse me, talk to Margie next week about the whole Farm Her and how she was she started it and how women make up a large portion of production agriculture. That's right. Do you have any other news for us, Delaney? I do have a other a few other updates here. We've been following the Brazilian meat scandal, and so far they have released a statement saying 63 indictments have been released for people involved in the Ministry of Agriculture in Brazil, and that has been mostly federal auditors at meat processing facilities that have been taking bribes for years um, for fraudulent sanitary permits. Oh, man. So. Four years. Years. Not, Not number four, four just but four. Yeah, yeah, many years. Many years. They have been passing off rancid or expired yes. meat out of Brazil, in some cases in exchange for hams, Delaney. How that still <laughs> blows right. my mind. I forgot about that. But I guess if you're the inspector, you can pick your ham, I would imagine. <laughs> you don't pick the rancid one. There's some jokes running through my mind right now. That probably what do you got? Are, what do you got? No, probably not podcast All right. All right. We've got to keep that clean rating That's on right. iTunes. <laughs> uh, we do have a little bit of news here. Zoetis, the, uh, the uh, animal drug manufacturer, is buying a company called NextVet Biopharma. They are an uh, Irish company, and uh, Zoetis is buying them for 6.72 a share, so they're giving them a 66% premium. And Nextvet Biopharma, do you know what kind of animals their medicine focuses on, Delaney? Biopharma. Yeah, Nextvet Biopharma mm. is the name of the company. I don't know lambs. Companion animals, dogs oh. and cats. So Zoetis has oh, a huge. I, I did hear that. They have a huge voice yes. in production agriculture. Now they want to diversify their portfolio and get into that lucrative mm-hmm. uh, companion animal market. Because here's a fun fact that I actually just learned not too long ago. All throughout the recession, right? Consumers spent less money. There was one area where consumers spent more money every year throughout the recession. Do you know what that area was, Delaney? Pet food. Pet food. That is correct. That is correct. Every year, year over year, even through the recession, Americans spent more on their pet food than they did the year before. Mm. Man. What else you got? (laughs) Um, I have another kind of fun or interesting story, we'll say. Um, California lawmakers are working to regulate and implement on the state ballot an initiative to legalize recreational marijuana. Now, didn't they already approve that? They did. Uh, Scanning the story here. So marijuana, yes, is already moving to a mass scale in California's Salinas Valley. And um, farms as large as 50 acres are converting to pot from fruits and vegetables. (laughs) So 30 states have now legalized marijuana in some form. And California could eventually grow to serve the nation as soon as restrictions against transporting are... Um, eliminated, I guess. Huh. 
Interesting. If, if we have any listeners in California and you are planning on making that conversion to pot, please shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter. I'd love to talk to you about the logistics. I mean, is it twin row? Or are you on 30-inch rows? How do you do it? Do you drill it in? Well, I think a lot of them still do it in the greenhouse. Well, yeah, but you're not going to have a 50-acre greenhouse. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. the field. Where do you know. get a harvester? Interesting. Does John Deere make a, a weed head? I can't say I know a lot about the pot industry, Mike. Yeah, can't either. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, at least I won't say whether or not I do on the air. Now, let's take a look down at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is ending their wind power subsidy beginning July 1st. Any power plants, any wind plants, wind generators that begin generating power after that will not receive the wind power subsidy. It was supposed to go until 2021, but they need the money. Holes in the budget require that that uh, subsidy be ended early. Oklahoma Delaney is currently third in the nation for installed wind capacity. That's interesting you say that. I really think we need to get some wind people on the podcast. I agree. Maybe we'd get them from Oklahoma. Maybe. Oklahoma, where the wind blows something across the plains. <laughs> the only place in the world where you'll hear Mike Pearson sing. That's right. <laughs> and it's been a long time since I've seen Oklahoma, the musical, so I'm, I'm a little rusty on the lyrics. Right. But you got any other news for us? <laughs> I you. just have one other quick update. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt says that he is looking to hire private attorneys to rewrite WOTUS. So by hiring private lawyers, that would effectively privatize the, the rulemaking process. And as the idea is taking shape, they hope to lobby and restrain the scope of federal water regulation on behalf of more than 60 industry groups. And as part of those groups are included the American Farm Bureau Federation and the National Mining Association. Well, there we go. So uh, we've gotten a break from Lotus so far. We will see what Scott Pruitt gets to uh, pull out of his hat as this year goes forward. Let's... Uh, Let's see how the markets closed. I think they, they are, are indeed. Should we read the markets? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's take a look at the corn market. May corn down five and a quarter cents. Finished the day at three sixty one and a quarter. December corn down four and a quarter. Finished the day at three eighty six even. Over at soybeans, May beans down seven and a half cents. Back under nine fifty. Finished the day at nine forty five and three quarters. Novi beans, new crop down five and a half cents. Finished at nine fifty six and three quarters. On the wheat side, May wheat, hey, hey, some green ink. May wheat up half a cent, closed at 421 and a half. December wheat up one and a quarter, finished the day at 471 and a quarter. Jumping over to the livestock trade, bit of a mixed barrel in livestock. Live cattle, April contract up 35 cents, finished at 126.77 and a half. June live cattle up seven and a half cents, finished at 115.65. Feeder cattle, other side of the story. April feeders closed down 37.5 cents, finished at 138.67.5. May feeders down 7.5 cents, closed at 140.7.5. Lean hogs, the May contract down 57.5 cents, closed the day at 67.15. June lean hogs closed down 85 cents, finishing at 71.50. And looking at milk, April contract was unchanged at 15.24. The May Class 3 milk contract up 7 cents, closed at 15.21. Delaney, who are we going to be talking to first today, do you think? Well, I just want to mention that we're getting lots of funny looks here. We are uh, doing our podcast live from the Capitol, and there's all sorts of people walking around 
probably not knowing what we're doing sitting back here in the corner with our microphones. Yeah, shouting out. numbers right. out into the void. Yeah, they have no idea. <laughs> um, I think first up, though, we're talking to Bill Kowser and Brian Sampson. They are both cattle feeders in Story County. And uh, let's just kick it off to them. They've got a lot of good things to say about the future of the cattle industry. All right, folks, we're here today at the Cattlemen on the Capitol for the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. And Delaney and I are both here. But more importantly, we are here with two fantastic Story County cattle producers, Mr. Bill Kowser and Mr. Brian Sampson. They are both here. Brian, how you doing? Hey, I'm very good. Thank you, Mike. Perfect. Bill? You know, if I was any finer, I couldn't stand myself today. <laughs> you know, God made us all imperfect for a reason, right? He, you know, we can't have the competition. That's right. That's why we're standing together. <laughs> well, then there's always room for improvement. That's true. That's true. Although it's tough to find sometimes. Delaney, what do we want to talk to these gentlemen about today? Well, I think, uh, Mr. Kowser, you obviously talked to... Okay, I'll call you Bill. Bill, you talked to a lot of people in the cattle feeding industry, so why don't you give us an update on what the cattle feeding industry looks like? Well, I think every month this, this view has changed, because when we look at what's come into um, the past three or four months, it's just the China um, export that possibly is, is going to happen, because we've hosted people from China in the past few weeks, and they, they want Iowa beef. And they, they tell us they don't want a little, they want a lot. Uh, right now, this group that we met with the other day, um, they go through 12 carloads of, of Australian and Brazilian beef a week. And they said, we don't want a little, we want a lot of Iowa beef. So when I look at the future of this industry today and what's happened, um, um, it, it's a little nerve-wracking because um, high prices are high prices. And uh, where we've been, where we're coming from, where we're going to today, why um, it's pretty exciting. Brian, now, Bill's talked about the high prices. We've seen the cash market come back quite a little bit. How are we doing? Are we at a break-even point for uh, most cattle feeders, do you think? Oh, yeah, I think we're past the break-even point, and uh, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Uh, and it's always unexpected. So it's, sometimes it's hard to cash in on the higher prices because you didn't foresee it. Right. You know, it caught you unexpectedly. Let them go a little too soon or head yep. them off a little early. You know, I, I heard a very successful person one time say uh, the reason for his success was he always sold too soon. I'm not sure how that makes sense, but uh, it, it kind yeah. of rings true. You know? Yeah. Sell before it turns into a loss. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you think back to 2015, that fall, when everybody just kept holding on to those animals thinking it's got to turn around, and it just... Yeah, it and then just we lost our currency. I think we lost our current nest. Yes, you know everybody got in place right now, and and I f I feel like we're as current as the industry's ever been. Oh wow! And I think that has some longevity. I think it has a good future. Yeah, sounds good at least. Right, it's a positive thing to note on the cash side. Right, we're current. Right. Yeah. Now, Bill, when you look out at the state of the industry today, we've heard a lot of talk, primarily out in the west on the ranches. It's tough to find young folks to come into the cattle business. Are you seeing we're here today with the Iowa cattlemen? Do you feel like there's enough young people interested in this market? Well, I think there's interest out there, and there's room for everybody. And when you look at the, the uh, I just had the privilege of hosting the scholarships uh, for the, the college kids coming in. And you look at the youth that are coming in here today, they're, they're smart, they're savvy, uh, they're going to make it. You look at the families behind those kids, uh, there's going to be room for them one way or the other. Um, it's going to be a shrinking industry. Uh, we've seen this happen in all industries. Uh, but there is room today for anyone in agriculture 
in the United States of America because of the success of their forefathers before them. It's going to get smaller, but it's going to get better. Smaller and better. So we're at the Capitol today, so obviously legislation is important. Did either of you go and speak to your senators? We've, we've tried to. We're, okay. we're going to go up after lunch okay. and, and keep trying. And what do, you, busy. what do you hope to accomplish or talk to them about today? Nothing specific on my part, but uh, I just want to show their support. I want to show show my face, I guess, and just show them that I'm here and uh, support what they what they're doing. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate that, um, and a lot of them have told us today that when they see the cattlemen here, when they see the corn growers here, when they see the people in the trenches here at the Capitol, this is where they stand up. They get a smile on their face because this is what supports Iowa and the Midwest. So it's so important that no matter who you are, that you take the time and you come down here and you talk to these people because we're not here about something silly. I mean, we're here about uh, a safe, reliable, sustainable food uh, system that the world respects today. And hopefully we don't have our come down here with our hand out. You know, we, we want to just support and uh, thank them. And thank them you did with a fantastic brisket lunch from the Washington County Cattlemen served by the Madison County Youth Beef Team. So, I mean, we have a pretty good brisket today. Excellent food. Yeah. Always is. All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, that was Bill Kowser and Brian Sampson, two great storytellers and uh, and just, just good all-around people. That's one of the great things about this industry. It's chock full of good people, no matter where you at, uh, where you are at when it comes to livestock production. That's right. You know, there's a couple squirrels, yeah. you know, but there like isn't every. You. Yeah, you know, there's always a few of us that uh, huh. spoil the bunch. But <laughs> the next interview we have set up for today will be very interesting. We've talked a lot over the past two years about the incredible drop in the prices of live cattle. Well, we are talking to Ed Griman, who is a man that has had has been a fairly instrumental part in helping smooth out some of the volatility in the live cattle trade. So, Delaney, should we just throw it over to Ed? I think we should. All right, folks, we are back here at the Iowa State Capitol Building. We are going to be talking to Ed Griman, past president of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association and current member on the NCBA Marketing Committee. Ed, what are you guys working on? Well, one of the biggest things that we really worked on when I was chair of NCBA's Marketing Committee was we worked a lot of, on the market volatility. You know, we went through a time there when we saw $1.70 cattle. We went all the way down to $85 cash cattle. But along the way, we saw tremendous volatility, something we've never seen in the history of the contract. And so we had to ask ourselves, what do we need to do? Uh, we went to the CME. We asked them what was going on. We went to the CFTC. I spent a lot of time in D.C. working on that. And in the end, one of the things that always came back to us is, yes, there's a lot going on with the contract, but number two, what could we do? And the one thing that we figured out we could do is we need more transparency in our market. And what do I mean by that? We were trading cattle 5 o'clock on Fridays. So we would go all week. Everybody's wondering what, what is the value of a Fed steer in the nation. We don't have any trade. We go on. And then all of a sudden the market, the futures market has a tendency to go where it wants to go. It, it does what it wants to do without any market signals. So we knew that we had to figure out a way to bring transparency. And that's where a group of us came up with what we now call the Fed Cattle Exchange. Um, we vetted it through the packers, and what we wanted was something that allowed us to see some cash trade happen on a Wednesday. It only needed to be a portion of the cattle. It would get, get the, the ball going, get it kicked off, 
everybody could watch it. That's the other thing that was important, is to make sure that people who are speculators, people who are market makers, anybody, funds who are trading our market, they could see what's going on with the exchange. And, and that's what it was about. And see where the physical value of that animal is. And so how long has the FCE, the Fed Cattle Exchange, been trading? The first sale was, was in September. We actually kicked it off in May, had some difficulties with it. And here's the reason we had difficulties. The market is so starved for information that the first sale we had, over 1,000 people logged onto it and shut the site down. So we had to start over again and revisit everything. But now we have up to 1,500 different people watch that sale every week. And as you will know, it's the number one piece of commentary that comes out on Wednesdays. And, and, and since then, we have traded cattle pretty much every week on Wednesday or Thursday. So if people want to watch that live, how do they access that? Just go to fedcattleexchange.com. You're going to see um, a couple different buttons there they can hit. One of them is, how do I sell cattle? The other is, how do I watch? And just go through the, the process, and you'll be able to watch it 10 o'clock every Wednesday, 10 o'clock Central. And anybody can put cattle on there. Is there a size limit, a pen size limit? Is Can I run two fat Holstein steers on the Fed Cattle Exchange? Well, so there's no limits to anything, but I will say the cattle are all bought, uh, freight paid by the packer. So to be honest with you, if they're not load lot, it's going to be hard to sell them. Um, and, it, and it has been hard to sell cattle that are outside of the cattle feeding region. We had some Illinois cattle on there. We had some Missouri cattle. Um, it was hard to get them to work, but it's because it's really about what was afraid on those cattle. Right. It's the basis issue again coming into play. Now, so if I decide to market my cattle here on the FCE, they just stay in my lot at home, and I just take a video camera out there and shoot some pictures? Uh, you don't even have to take a video camera. About half the cattle have a picture. So uh, the cattle need to be listed by noon on Monday. There's a couple things you've got to have. It'd be uh, pen location, where the feedlot is, contact, weight in, projected weight when they're going to sell them, uh, days on feed, uh, percent choice. And then what's going to happen at noon on Monday, that show list, once the cattle are all put together, is going to go to the packers. And then they send their buyers out to take a look at the cattle. Um, and more than likely, they'll come visit and take a look at them. And then on Wednesday, we have a sale. How do you think packers have reacted to this? Um, it's been interesting. So in the whole process, we included them. All along the way, when we invented it, came up with the idea, um, we vetted it several times. We had some mock sales. So they were a part of it the whole way. We actually just had another, you know, we were six months into it, just had another meeting with the Packers in Oklahoma City a month ago. So I think it's been well received. Do they always like the market? No. But... That's the way capitalism works. Right. That's part of transparency. That's right. Have you been hitting your targets? Has it been moving as you've hoped? I mean, both the, the per head, per sale target and the generating conversation, getting more information out there, part, part of your goal. So the one thing it has done is it's got more information out there. We feel like it's been, that's been very good. In fact, volatility on the cattle futures market is down because of it. I don't know if you recently saw they, they lowered margin require, requirements. From 1800 to 1550. That's part of the work the exchange did. Um, volume has been dropping. Um, it's starting to climb again right now. But we went through a really tight time. Um, uh, March was a was a time where we were the packers were really short on cattle. Cattle were being sold 30 months in advance. It'll be curious as we get into the summer when there's more cattle around, when we see some more volume on the exchange. Now you mentioned Gypsa earlier when we were talking to you in conversation. How does that fit into this whole marketing package? Well, you know, one of, one of the biggest selling points uh, of the Fed Cattle Exchange was the fact that Gypsa was hanging out there. And it was because politicians were watching, uh, lawmakers were watching what's happening on in, in terms of vertical integration in their cattle business. 
And so that was one of the things we needed to do is show them that there is some cash trade and some transparency. So it's really important that we maintain it. Now, we know the GIPSA rule has been pushed back to October. Um, I hope it doesn't have an effect on the exchange. I, I sure hope our volume keeps increasing and the packers participate, but we'll see. And, and, and I'm going to work at it hard this summer to make sure that it, it, it maintains itself. And when you say work at it hard, you're not just a, a guy flying around the world. You're also an independent cattle feeder up in northern Iowa. That's right. Yeah. Several generations in, right? Uh, actually, yes. In fact, yes, kind of so. Okay. You know, the Grimans are well known for for uh, being in the cattle business, but my brother and I are actually first-generation guys. Seriously? Yeah, so the farms that we live on, um, they were not Griman farms, so we've kind of started from scratch. It hasn't been very easy, <laughs> i got to tell you that. But, yeah, I'm doing some contract work for Superior on the yeah. Fed Cattle Exchange, so I would talk to the packers and talk to what we're really focusing on is some of the major feed yards who would be formula pricing their cattle, asking them to put a portion of their show list on. Because, and, and I don't have this information handy, I don't know if you do, what percentage of cattle is currently sold negotiated trade? That's a good question. So what, what got this whole thing started is in 2015, we hit an all-time low of 15%. Uh, we saw a week where there was only 500 head traded in, in Texas, and that's what got the ball rolling. Um, in 2016, we went up to 26%. So far now, this year, in the first, the first half of the year, we've been around 30%. So it's getting better. So it's working. Is there, is there a percentage number that NCBA or you as a cattle feeder would like to see to have more confidence in the market? Not really. Um, we, we want to be really careful about it. There's actually been some work done by Dr. Kuntz out of Colorado State. We hired him to do this work. Um, and it would show that it's different in every state. For example, 3,000 headed cash trade for the week in Colorado is like having 24,000 in Nebraska. And it all has to do with how, how big of a region it contains, how many different people are participating. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to where we're seeing that transparency. And we're seeing cash trade over two to three days. And we're seeing a range of cash trade. That's the other thing we want to see. Like, for instance, last week, we saw a range of 200 to 208 for dress. That's the kind of stuff you want to see in, a, in an active market. Right. Dr. Kuntz there, he's at Colorado State. Yes. He said the greatest line I've ever heard when it comes to the sheep market. He was at the ICA convention two or three years ago talking about yeah. what to do with volatility and transparency. And somebody said, Dr. Kuntz, what do you think about the sheep market? And, you know, it's a cattleman's convention. He's a cattleman guy. He kind of took a step back and he walked in the front of his podium and he took a sip of water and he goes, you know, I think we ought to eat the last sheep and call it good. And I thought that was, that was a great line. I've used it quite a bit. So hats off to Dr. Koontz. Now, um, over this next year, what other issues is NCBA going to be tackling with regard to the market? Is there anything out there that's, uh, that we need to address? Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of work with the CME and the CFTC, trying to understand how do these algorithmic traders affect our market, high-frequency traders. We know they're not just in cattle. And so we're going to continue to do that. Uh, one of the things that we've, we've learned is that our markets are evolving. Um, we're no longer a pit-traded market, which means there's new, fat, new players in it and there's speed involved. And so you're going to see us really keep, keep working with the CFTC on that. Um, one of the concerns we have is do they have the tools that they need to monitor our markets? That makes sense. Well, Ed, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Hopefully we can have you on the podcast again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Again, that was Ed Griman, and I didn't realize he was an NCBA member, and I really didn't know a lot about the Fed Cattle Exchange. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic program. I'd encourage everyone who is on the cattle production side, whether you're a cow-calf producer or a feedlot operator, wherever it is you fit in, uh, log on. Google up Fed Cattle Exchange. In fact, I think you can just go to fedcattleexchange.com so. and uh, pull it up. Watch these sales. Now, watch it tomorrow, as yeah, a matter of fact. In fact, you're right, Delaney. Thank you. 10, a, 10 a.m. tomorrow, uh, every Wednesday is when that sale happens, 10 a.m. Central Time. And uh, just see, this is how cash prices are being determined. Um, not every time livestock are sold on the exchange, but at the very least, we're helping pull that trade forward. We're getting that cash trade a little more out in the open so it's not, as Ed mentioned, congregated right there at, at 5 to 8 p.m. on a Friday after the markets have closed mm -hmm. and there's very little risk management opportunities. That's right. So check it out. And uh, Delaney, what do we have going on tomorrow? Well, as we mentioned yesterday, we have everything planned out this week. And it's done a lot for my peace of mind, I have to admit. So tomorrow we are talking to Kristen Clark. She writes the blog Food and Swine. And she also raises hogs with her husband. I believe they just do the finishing portion. They don't have any farrowing from what I remember. But uh, she's been an advocate for agriculture. She does a lot of public speaking events and really connects um, those that aren't in agriculture with agriculture through her blog, Food and Swine. So I think she's going to be a really fun interview to have on tomorrow. That'll be fantastic. So folks, tune in tomorrow, tune in on Thursday, and again, as always, tune in on Friday. To make it easier to do all that, you can just subscribe to us on iTunes or on Google Play. And if you subscribe and you like, or even if you don't like what we're doing, rate and review us. Give us uh, a series of stars. You can go up to five. And, you know, you can write in the review that you wish you could give more. Um, but that helps. It helps us know if we're on the right track with this whole thing. And it helps iTunes know who to recommend us to, who else might appreciate this kind of content. And uh, if you do that, we will be sure to log in and give you a shout-out on the air. That's right. And also, if you have ideas comments or anything that you'd like to share with us, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page, Ag News Daily, on our Twitter account, Ag News Daily, or you can email us. That's either Delaney at Ag News Daily or Mike at Ag News Daily. If you're interested in sponsoring us, you know, We'll definitely answer your emails. You <laughs> bet. We will be. Those are those are first in the those line. Are, yes, that's right. Yes, they sure are. Well, with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. 